This is Scott Sisher, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice, and I'm excited to present the highlights of our April 2023 theme issue, which is Difficult Decisions in Food Allergy. We want to thank editorial board members Mimi Tang and Paul Turner for doing a fantastic job coordinating this theme issue and for contributing a theme editorial that wonderfully summarizes and contextualizes the reviews in this issue. And speaking of those reviews, they include a review on precautionary allergen labeling, what advice is available for healthcare professionals, allergists, and allergic consumers. Another on, will oral food challenge still be part of allergy care in 10 years time? Another review on endpoints and outcomes after immunotherapy for food allergy, what is meaningful for patients? Another review entitled Food Allergen Immunotherapy in Preschool Children, Do We Have the Evidence? And lastly, a review entitled Who Needs Epinephrine, Anaphylaxis, Auto-Injectors, and Parachutes? There's also a special article about food allergy entitled Varying Approaches to Management of IgE-Mediated Food Allergy in Children Around the World. We also have two rostra three rostra associated with food allergy. One is how we manage gastrointestinal symptoms during oral immunotherapy through a shared decision-making process, a practical guide for the community practitioner. Another entitled, Are There Hidden Dangers Associated with Milk Allergy Dietary Advancement Therapy? And a third rostrum entitled, Accelerating Food Allergy Research, Need for a Data Commons. You'll also find two workgroup reports that are food allergy related. One is entitled The Need for Required Stock Epinephrine in All Schools, a workgroup report of the Quad AI Adverse Reactions to Foods Committee, and another entitled Food Allergy Management Practices Utilizing Individual Patient Thresholds, a workgroup report of the Quad AI Adverse Reactions to Foods, Foods Committee. And there's also a position statement in this issue about the impact of prior authorization in allergy and immunology. This issue also has a special clinical commentary review entitled Significance and Potential Role of Eosinophils in Non-Cystic Fibrosis Bronchiectasis, and a special article entitled Extrapolating Evidence-Based Medicine of Allergen Immunotherapy into Clinical Practice in the United States. Now I will present summaries of the full-length original articles in this issue. These will cover the following areas, food allergy, anaphylaxis, asthma, drug allergy, hereditary angioedema, immunodeficiency, rhinitis sinusitis, and urticaria. The first article is entitled, Informing Risk Management for Patients with Cow's Milk Allergy Based on Threshold Dose Distributions Using Low-Dose Food Challenges by Katz et al. What's already known about this topic? Previously determined threshold curves for the tolerance of cow's milk protein for a given percentage of milk allergic patients were affected by high rates, over 10%, of patients reacting to the first dose, in other words, left censored. What does this study add to our knowledge? Using a large group, including severely milk allergic patients with no left sensors, this study demonstrates that the threshold of reaction for, to cow's milk protein is significantly higher than previously accepted values. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Findings of this study should have a significant effect on decisions reached by regulators regarding food labeling in general and milk in particular. 
The next study is entitled Differences in Self-Reported Food Allergy and Food-Associated Anaphylaxis by Race and Ethnicity Among Sapphire Cohort Participants by Zhao et al. What's already known about this topic? Although U.S. national surveys suggest significant differences in food allergy by race and ethnicity, little is known about the relative importance of different food allergens and the mechanisms by which they contribute to disparities. What does the article add to our knowledge? This study demonstrated significant race and ethnic differences in both reported food allergy and food-associated anaphylaxis between African Americans and non-Hispanic white individuals, with seafood allergy being a major contributor to these differences. The study also found that genetic ancestry was not significantly associated with reported food allergy, suggesting the socio-environmental factors play an important role in food allergy disparities. How does the study impact current management guidelines? This study does not directly impact current guidelines, but it does highlight the importance of considering potential food allergens more broadly in different race and ethnic groups. The study also emphasizes the importance of future studies of socio-environmental drivers of food allergy. The next study is entitled Omalizumab in IgE-Mediated Food Allergy, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Zuberbier et al. What's already known about the topic? Immediate type food allergy is mediated by immunoglobulin E. Omalizumab is an anti-IgE, has potential in the treatment of this condition. However, there's lack of clarity and the available evidence supporting its potential clinical application. What does the article add to our knowledge? To our knowledge, this is the first meta-analysis summarizing the available data for omalizumab as monotherapy or as adjunct to oral immunotherapy in patients with IgE-mediated food allergy. No new safety signals were identified. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Omalizumab was beneficial as monotherapy and as an adjunct to oral immunotherapy in patients with IgE-mediated food allergy. It represents a potential treatment modality that will be further evaluated in the Phase 3 outmatch study. The next study is entitled, Narcolepsy-Like Sleepiness, a Symptom of Immediate Type Reactions in Food-Allergic Children, by Cobb et al. What's already known about this topic? Narcolepsy-like sleepiness as a symptom of allergic reactions on food ingestion has only been described in a single case report. To our knowledge, this is the first systematic clinical characterization of this symptom in a representative cohort. What does the study add to our knowledge? We identified and clinically characterized narcolepsy-like sleepiness as a frequent occurring symptom of allergic reactions on food ingestion affecting 12.5% of food allergic children during oral food challenges. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Narcolepsy-like sleepiness seems to be a common immediate type symptom in food allergy. Therefore, its characterization and further research concerning the underlying mechanisms is crucial to update current classification systems and management guidelines for anaphylactic reactions. The next article is entitled, entitled RH2-specific IgE presence rather than its function is the best predictor of mast cell activation in children by Xi et al. What's already known about the topic? RH2 is a major allergen in peanut and can be useful to diagnose peanut allergy. What does the article add to our knowledge? The IgE titers and the proportion of IgE that is RH2-specific are major determinants of mast cell reactivity to RH2. How does the study impact current management guidelines? 
The presence of RH2-specific IgE response is predictive of clinical reactivity to PINA in most cases. The next article is entitled, Evaluating the Food Allergy Passport, a Novel Food Allergy Clinical Support Tool, by Silliberti et al. What's already known about this topic? Childhood food allergy continues to grow, and low-income populations are disproportionately affected. Data show that the burden and management of food allergies differ, according to income strata, and demonstrate the need for improved clinical support tools. What does the article add to our knowledge? The food allergy passport has recently been shown to increase caregiver comfort with regard to food allergy, the knowledge of proper epinephrine use and anaphylaxis recognition, and quality of life for children. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The use of standardized food allergy education tools, such as the food allergy passport, should be considered to increase comfort and alleviate knowledge gaps for affected children and their caregivers. The next study is entitled, Assessing Disparities in the Prevalence of Atopic Comorbidities Among Food Allergic Children by Dilip et al. What's already known about the topic? Racial disparities in food allergy phenotypes and outcomes have been reported. Specifically, black children are at higher risk for comorbid atopic conditions. This may be related to factors associated with greater socioeconomic privation. What does the article add to our knowledge? Neighborhood-level socioeconomic deprivation plays a role in the development of asthma and allergic rhinitis among children with food allergy. Black children were at higher risk for these conditions independent of socioeconomic-related factors. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Providers taking care of children with food allergy should screen for asthma and allergic rhinitis more diligently among black patients. They should also engage patients' parents to understand socioeconomic obstacles a family may be facing. The next article is entitled Real-World Safety Analysis of Preschool Tree Nut Oral Immunotherapy by Ertl et al. What's already known about this topic? Peanut oral immunotherapy, or OIT, is safe, tolerable, and effective in the preschool population. Tree nut OIT data are currently limited with no evidence in the preschool population. What's, what does the article add to our knowledge? Trina oral immunotherapy has similar, if not better, safety and tolerability as peanut oral immunotherapy in the preschool population. How does the study impact current management guidelines? This study suggests that tree nut oral immunotherapy is safe and tolerable in most patients and should be offered as an alternative to strict avoidance. The next study is entitled Trends and Variation in Pediatric Anaphylaxis Care from 2016 to 2022 by Dribben et al. What's already known about the topic? Previous data suggests variation in the therapeutic approach for children with anaphylaxis in U.S. pediatric emergency departments. What does this article add to our knowledge? Emergency department visits for anaphylaxis increased during the study period, but hospitalization rates were low. Substantial variation exists between emergency departments regarding the use of anaphylaxis therapies. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Findings from this study conflict with existing practice guidelines that advise against using corticosteroids to treat anaphylaxis and or prevent biphasic reactions. Randomized controlled trials are needed to evaluate the efficacy of adjunctive anaphylaxis therapies. The next article is entitled, Direct versus Indirect Query Performance of ICD-9-10 Coding to Identify Anaphylaxis by Eldridge et al. What's already known about this topic? Anaphylaxis is often underdiagnosed, and researchers have leveraged billing data algorithms to study the epidemiology of this disease. Longitudinal anaphylaxis epidemiological data are limited after the ICD-10 transition and during the COVID-19 era. What does the article add to our knowledge? 
Forward mapping of ICD-9-CM algorithms to ICD-10-CM may overestimate drug-induced anaphylaxis in epidemiologic studies and perform poorly. Anaphylaxis cases dropped precipitously in 2020, likely owing to effects on the healthcare system of the COVID-19 pandemic. How does this impact current management? Despite increasing emergency department visits, corresponding hospitalizations remain relatively stable from 2011 to 2020. Using direct queries, current approaches emphasize early anaphylaxis identification and treatment show promise in improving outcomes. Further validation of ICD-10-CM anaphylaxis algorithms are needed. The next study is entitled, Self-Reported Insufficient Sleep is Associated with Clinical and Inflammatory Features of Asthma, a Prospective Cohort Study, by Wang et al. What's already known about the topic? A few studies have explored the association between short sleep duration and worse asthma outcomes in patients with self-reported asthma. However, all of them are cross-sectional. What does this article add to our knowledge? We found that patients with short sleep duration had low total IgE and pheno levels and high airway inflammation characterized by increased levels of IL-6 and TNF-alpha and sputum, and that a short sleep duration is also independent risk factor for controlled asthma and future asthma exacerbations. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Our findings indicate that as a potential treatable trait, sleep duration has clinical implications for asthma management. The next article is entitled, Baseline Pheno Independently Predicts That Dupilumab Response in Patients with Moderate to Severe Asthma by Pavord et al. What's already known about the topic? Pheno predicted the risk for future severe exacerbations in Quest placebo patients and may predict responsiveness to some biologic therapies. Whether the predictive value is independent of other established predictive markers, like blood eosinophil counts is unclear. What does this article add to our knowledge? This post hoc analysis supports the use of pheno as a potential biomarker for predicting the response to dupilumab treatment in patients with uncontrolled moderate to severe asthma independently of eosinophil level and other clinical characteristics. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Elevated pheno levels are a marker of type 2 inflammation in severe asthma and should be seen as a pharmacodynamic prognostic and predictive biomarker that is independent of eosinophil levels when considering treatment with dupilumab. The next article is entitled, Long-Term Outcome of Occupational Asthma from Irritants and Low Molecular Weight Sensitizers by Lanto et al. What's already known about the topic? The patients with irritant-induced asthma, or IAIA, show a poorer short-term asthma outcome than those with low molecular weight agent-induced, or LMW-induced, occupational asthma. But their long-term results are poorly known. What does this article add to our knowledge? Six years after occupational asthma diagnosis, uncontrolled asthma was more common with IIA than with LMW-induced occupational asthma. Older age, a low fractional exhaled nitric oxide value, and uncontrolled asthma at baseline were associated with a worse outcome. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Patients with IIA and LMW-induced occupational asthma should be closely monitored after the diagnosis of occupational asthma because half of them remained uncontrolled. Other factors than type 2 inflammation might contribute to their long-term asthma control. 
The next article is entitled, A Randomized Trial of Composite T2 Biomarker Strategy Adjusting Corticosteroid Treatment in Severe Asthma, a Post-Hoc Analysis by Sex by Eastwood et al. What's already known on the topic? A female preponderance is present in adults with severe asthma who often have a high symptom burden below biomarker of T2 inflammation. Asthma guidelines recommend treatment escalation based on symptoms, which potentially lead to inappropriate corticosteroid dose escalation. What does the article add to our knowledge? Compared with males, females with severe asthma derive greater benefit from biomarker-directed corticosteroid down titration of treatment without worsening asthma control or increased exacerbation risk. Extrapulmonary comorbidities like obesity, anxiety, and or depression anxiety led to increased symptom burden, which can expose females to excessive corticosteroid treatment. How does the study impact management guidelines? Clinicians should be aware of the dissociation dissociation between symptoms and inflammation and encouraged to measure T2 biomarkers, lung function, and other objective measures to inform precise treatment choices and prevent avoidable harm through inappropriate corticosteroid dose escalation. The next article is entitled, Digital Antibiotic Allergy Decision Support Tool Improves Management of Beta-Lactam Allergies by Dunham et al. What's already known about the topic? Most patients with the label of penicillin allergy can safely receive beta-lactams. The benefit of delabeling are well established. However, most frontline non-allergist providers are not equipped with the necessary training to assess and manage antibiotic allergies. What does the article add to our knowledge? Non-allergist providers made clinical decisions in test cases of beta-lactam allergy encounters with a digital allergist-validated decision support tool. This tool increased non-allergist adherence to allergist recommendations and increased their confidence in managing antibiotics. What is this? How does this impact management guidelines? A digital decision tool for non-allergist providers can improve time-sensitive antibiotic administration for patients with antibiotic allergy labels. Hospitals and providers should consider implementing accessible and adaptable digital antibiotic allergy decision support tools. The next article is entitled Epidemiology Management and Treatment Access of Hereditary Angioedema in the Asia-Pacific Region, Outcome from an International Survey by Lietl. What's already known about the topic? Hereditary angioedema, or HAE, is a rare genetic disease that is often misdiagnosed as allergy and associated with significant morbidity and mortality. Regional guidelines or recommendations help channel limited resources and improve the standard of care. What does this article add to our knowledge? Reported HAE prevalence varied across the Asia-Pacific region. Improved access to diagnostic tests is needed for reliable data. Hereditary angioedema-specific medications were registered in a minority of countries and territories, and access was more likely in those with support groups and guidelines. How does this impact current management guidelines? Lack of diagnostic facilities, access to medication, and patient advocacy undermine patient care according to international recommendations. The formation of Asia-Pacific region-specific guidelines and regional consensus on the diagnosis, management, and treatment of HAE is urgently needed. The next article is entitled, Is Your Kid Acting Out? and actin is spelled A-C-T-I-N. A series of six patients with inherited actin-related protein 2-3 complex subunit 1B deficiency and a review of the literature by Vasquez Echeverry et al. What's already known about the topic? Actin-related protein 2-3 complex subunit 1B deficiency is a combined immune defect with short stature, skin infection, allergic and bleeding disease, vasculitis, leukocytosis, eosinophilia, platelet abnormalities, hypergammaglobulinemia with elevated B-cells, and risk for malignancy. Stem cell transplantation has been curative. 
as this article had to our knowledge. Six patients from four Mexican families expand the clinical spectrum to include keloid scars and EBV chronic hepatitis. All four gene variants are novel, including two compound heterozygotes and a potential founder effect. How does the study impact current management guidelines? One patient developed liver, one patient developed liver failure. Two other patients underwent stem cell transplantation and improved greatly. A high index of suspicion and multidisciplinary engagement are required for correct early diagnosis and management of actin-related protein 2-3 complex subunit 1b deficient patients. The next study is entitled Cutoff Values of Mask MASK Air Patient Reported Outcomes Measures. What's already known about the topic? Visual analog scales are patient-reported outcome measures that have been widely used to monitor allergic rhinitis and asthma control. Their validity and reliability have been assessed. What does this article add to our knowledge? Using a data-driven approach, this study identified cutoffs for the visual analog scales assessing allergic rhinitis and asthma control. What does the study do to impact current management guidelines? The identified cutoffs allow for an improved classification of patients with rhinitis and asthma according to different levels of control, supporting a better disease management. The next study is entitled Chronic Urticaria in Elderly, New Insights by Kalilia et al. What's already known about the topic? Chronic urticaria is a common disease affecting all age groups. Nevertheless, data regarding chronic urticaria in elderly are limited. What does this add to our knowledge? Older people with chronic urticaria have unique characteristics, including high prevalence of autoimmunity and malignancy and lower prevalence of atopy. Specialist intervention improved patient outcomes. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Raising awareness of chronic urticaria in elderly and prompt referral to an allergy specialist may improve outcomes. This has been Scott Sisherer. I thank you for listening to this highlight podcast for this theme issue on food allergy. I hope you enjoyed hearing these article highlights, and I encourage you to read through this theme issue as the editors are confident that the information is valuable to you and your patients, and there are also multiple opportunities to get CME credit as well. Thank you for listening.